The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. You may be seated. On one occasion, as Jesus was going to the home of a leader of the Pharisees for a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. And when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you who has been invited by the host. And then the host who has invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. And then, in disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place. And then when the host comes, he may say to you, Friend, come, sit higher. And then, in front of all who are at the table, you will be honored. <laughs> For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, and when you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your siblings, or your relatives, or, or your neighbors, so that they might invite you in return, and then you would be repaid. But invite the poor, and the crippled, and the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As many of you know, uh, my family, uh, my wife Rachel, my two girls, Emily and Eliza, we just got back from a two-week trip uh, to Germany. And that was made possible because Rachel found discount tickets. <laughs> and discount tickets equal discount seats. Um, and you, they make it very well known um, what that... Well, they don't make it well known at the beginning. But when you show up, they make it well known what you get with those discount tickets. And so you're paying for your bags and you don't get to choose whatever seat you want. You have to pay for every little thing. Um, and so you walk onto the plane, and they say, what's your ticket number? And you say, or seat number, and you know, I don't know, 500B, you know? And so, oh, you're in the back. And so you walk past uh, the business class, which has the little curtain and the big TVs, and they say, don't look over there. And you walk past Economy Plus, not your seats. And you walk past Economy, not your seats. And as the plane gets narrower in the back, 
that's where you find your seats. The discount tickets, the discount seats. We had a great time. But it made me think about how often we equate where we sit, about where we physically exist in the world with our own status, with our own value, with our own worth. I mean, with the, the plane tickets, you know, those who uh, paid much more than us, um, you know, they got priority seating. They got a special lounge in the airport to sit in. Um, they had seats that reclined. They even had their own bathroom. But I wonder in our own world how we equate where we physically are with our worth, our value, our status. The neighborhood you live in, what floor you work on, or if you're getting transferred to that fancy new building across the street. <laughs> where you go on vacation or where you sit on a plane. Where you sit, where you are, matters to us. It mattered to those in the first century. In this table meal culture of the first century, where you sat mattered. In that culture, they weren't sitting at tables on chairs. They were reclining on couches around a center table where the food would be, with their feet behind them and their faces up together. You were intimately drawn to those nearest to you. Think about that. Face to face at the Thanksgiving table. Who do you want to be sitting next to? reclining together, table fellowship. There's a sense of intimacy and connection as you're literally eating off of the same plate and as your heads and mouths are inches away from one another. You're concerned about status because if you're that close to that person at the table, maybe you're that close to that person elsewhere. And so you want to be close to those who are distinguished, those who are dignified, those who have power and influence in the world. And for the Pharisees, and for that culture, those who are deemed clean, clean in front of one another and clean before God. Because if you shared table fellowship with those who are unclean, perhaps your own relationship with God was in question. Jesus comes in and sees them bickering and elbowing and fighting for position. And he tells them to turn the world upside down, to think of it a whole new way. But that's hard to do. It's hard to do because we so often see the world through a lens of scarcity, that there's not enough. There's not enough status. There's not enough importance. There's maybe even not enough food. On my first date with Rachel, we, uh, I was in seminary and we had gone to this fancy um, gala that the, that the seminary was holding. So we were dressed up, you know, a suit and tie and a fancy dress. And we ended up at the end of the line. <laughs> and so we go through the line and we get to where the buffet is. And what's left 
are those hard pieces of cheese. And the shrimp that you're not so sure about. And the wilted greens. There wasn't enough. We wanted to be at the front of the line where we could get the best pick. This is how we see the world. That we're at the end, we're going to get the scraps. That if we're not at the front, if we're not with the most important, then we don't get anything. Jesus comes and tells this parable about a big reversal. About how Jesus comes to turn the world upside down. That those who exalt themselves, those who put themselves first will be last. And those who humble themselves, those who make themselves servants for the sake of others, will be raised up. Sitting in the discount seats on this plane, people were eager to get off. <laughs> uh, and, and so you we're sitting there and you know, you're at the, the gate and the doors open way at the front. And people, they're up and they're jetting for the front, trying to get up there as quickly as possible. And so I'm sitting there kind of annoyed. I have to admit, I was annoyed. It's like, if everyone just took their turn, it would be fine. We're only going to save that much time. And as the people behind me are rushing forward, you know, they didn't have another flight to catch. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and so as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, people have been passing us, and I notice that there's a door in the back. <laughs> yes! And now we're being ushered out the back door, too. And I was gloating. <laughs> humble, exalt yourselves, you'll be humbled. I humbled myself, I was exalted. <laughs> right? So often, we, when we th hear these words of Jesus, we think that when we exalt ourselves, that somebody else will be humbled, and if we're going to humble ourselves, somebody else will be exalted, that it's a zero-sum game, that we all can't be exalted together. We think that if someone raises to the top, someone is brought down low. You see that there's a commercial that's going on on TV right now, a Gatorade commercial, just as sports season is gearing up for this fall, that's called Make Your Rival Your Fuel. It's a, it's a compelling um, um, commercial where it has people dedicated and determined in their sport always looking into the eyes of their opponent and says, if you don't work hard enough, they're going to beat you. So use them, beating them as your motivation for achieving your own strength, achieving your best. It's about exalting yourself, about making yourself better only because someone else isn't as good as you. And what happens when we live in this way, that in order for me to be exalted, someone else must be humbled, is that those who find themselves in the cheap seats of life, whether by systems of inequality or brokenness in their own lives, those in the cheap seats are discounted, not valued or given worth. We ignore them, we forget them, we exclude them, we use them for our own benefit. But the fullness of the gospel tells us it's in the cheap seats among those who are discounted that we find where Jesus is. 
Jesus is the one who is among the discounted, who finds himself among the discounted on the cross, hanging there with the bandits and the thieves and those who are the worst in society. There on the cross, that's where we put the one who comes to us in the cheap seats, behind us, out of you, out of sight, out of mind. We humble him, we make him humbled, we humiliate him for our own sake, for our own power, for our own success. And so as Jesus is humiliated and humbled on the cross, we hear that wonderful story of his exaltation on the empty tomb that even death itself cannot hold him. He does not reveal himself in, in glory only by serving us, by the raising up of the lowly. Jesus doesn't exalt by wagging his head at us and saying, ha, ha, see, I won. No, Jesus shows his exaltation and his glory by sharing it with us, by sharing it with you, raising us up, giving us a hope, giving us love, giving us forgiveness. And Jesus uses his own exaltation to invite us into a new celebration, a celebration of resurrection. Jesus doesn't just give the invitation, but as I told the children, Jesus himself is the invitation. Jesus is the invitation of God into a new relationship a relationship for the sake of intimacy and connection. And it, a relationship not simply that we might be fed, but that our lives might be transformed. An invitation that draws us nearer and nearer to God, but also to one another. God's invitation is, is a desire for intimacy and connection with those who have gone astray, with those who are broken, with those who find themselves in the cheap seats wondering where this life is taking them. We are invited to the table. And at the table, we receive a word of love and of worth, no matter where we've come from. when we get this invitation, when our faith and our hearts feel it deeply, we're like those children jumping up with joy, surprised at being a guest at the table of our God, regardless of our status, of our physical existence, or even our religious uprightness. Can you imagine? Not needing to be concerned about these things, about being set free from all of that? What new possibilities might there be in our lives, in our relationships, in our work, in our families, in our country, or in the world, if we were truly free from our identity, our own working and striving for our own status because we know of our identity in Christ? We saw a picture of it yesterday um, at the U.S. Open. Did anybody see this? 
there were two uh, women's players, Naomi Osaka and Coco Golf. Naomi Osaka is the number one ranked women's tennis player in the world. She's phenomenal. Coco Golf is an American 15-year-old who um, had a run at Wimbledon earlier this summer and had uh, won two matches um, at the U.S. Open. Really, a, quite a feat for a 15-year-old. And so they were matched. This 15-year-old was playing the number one player in the world, and it went quite quickly. <laughs> Um, the 15-year-old lost in two matches, two sets, and was just, I mean, in front of the world. And after the match, the number one player, Naomi Osaka, comes over to Coco Golf and says, come have the interview with me. The interview that's reserved for the winner, she says, everyone's here for you. And Coco Golf says, I, I don't know if I can, I, I'm just going to cry. And Naomi says, it's better to cry here than in the shower. Come. And they did the interview together. This is what kingdom living looks like. Even in her exaltation, Naomi raised up this young phenom player who will make waves for years to come, but raised her up out of her humbleness and gave her an an, not gave her, but identified her value and worth in spite of her losing and shared the space for the winner with her. What would it look like if we could share that with others? If we raised one another up together in our own exaltation, in our own glory, in our own love, in our own lives. If we could do that Every table, every interaction would be a time to recline with the divine, a connection with God's grace and love, every interaction, every situation. It's what gathers us here with those who are next to you, sharing this space together. This fall, we want to invite you all into further invitation, into further meal and connection with one another. This fall, our long-range planning team is having a series of what we're calling Tables for Eight. It's a time and a place to come together at a table, around a meal, to grow in our intimacy, in our connection, in our relationship with one another, and to hear what God is doing in our lives, expecting that God will show up as we gather with one another. It's a time for us to recline and be in relationship with one another. And so I invite you to take a look at the announcement in the bulletin and consider whether this is something that you can participate in throughout this fall in this experiment to see what God is up to here at Good Shepherd. And even if you can't come to those, Here, every Sunday, there's a place for you. Here, every Sunday, there is a seat for you that doesn't cost a thing, that requires nothing from you. A place where God is giving you everything you need as we dwell and gather around the one who is glorified, the one who is risen, the one who loves and invites and shares all that is needed. Come.
all are welcome.